Life in student ministry. Conversation among youth workers. Hey guys, my name is Tim Schmoyer, and today I'm hanging out with my friend Keith Hostetler, and we want to share some of our stories with you guys as far as being in vocational ministry and stepping out or being fired out, pushed out, however you want to <laughs> look at it, uh, because we've both learned some things, and the thing I appreciate about Heath is he's about 10 years down the road from where I am, and he's learned a lot of lessons and is helping me learn a lot of things too, uh, not only about what that looks like and some of the things we learn from that as a person in that position, but there's a lot of implications for that uh, that actually also apply to people who are still in ministry as well. So there's a lot of yeah. cool things here we want to talk with you guys about. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and some of the lessons that you learned from that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I started working in the church vocationally when I was 19 in Bible college. I had a weekend ministry, and I worked, you know, all the way up uh, to my mid-20s. And I, so I what six, seven, eight years that I was involved in ministry. Uh, when I stepped out of ministry, there was you know, a bunch of leadership problems in the church. A lot of the staff members left. I was one of them. Oh, so it was a really challenging situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it hurt a bit. We'd, we'd given a lot of our time. It was a really important part of our life. So mm. uh, that was difficult, but I didn't have any intention on getting out of ministry. I had, I, I mean, I wanted to stay in. I continued to interview at churches. I ended up going to seminary um, and continuing to interview at churches. Yeah. But it wasn't until... I was a month from being finished with my master's degree that, that I realized all of my preparation, all of my plans, God, I always say, my wife and I say, God graciously sabotaged every plan that we had made. <laughs> when I realized that I was stepping out, I was in an interview with a senior minister oh, man. over lunch. <laughs> Three interviews, right? We got to the third one and he said to me, Heath, you're just not very passionate about our church. And I looked at him, and it, for the first time, I mean, it, <laughs> normally I'd start selling myself. Yeah. Right? No, right. you don't understand me. You don't, you know, yeah. I'm sick. Had a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Just not, yeah. Well, and then I looked at him, I said, you know what? I realize what it is now. Uh, I'm actually not passionate about any local church. Oh, man. But I am crazy about the kingdom of God. And somewhere along the line, I've kind of confused the two. And, mm. and I knew right there. <laughs> this is uh, this is over. Yeah. At least for now, the Lord needs to work some things out of me, and I can't, in good conscience, continue to right. try to contribute here when I'm so confused about this. Yeah. So. That's interesting, though, the whole, like, the church and the kingdom of God, how we sometimes confuse those. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some of the lessons that you learned yeah. uh, from that experience? Yeah, well, um, probably one of the quickest things that I learned is that, that your terminology really matters. And we live in a, a day and age with the internet and so much information that's coming out that you can, you can believe a word means a certain thing one day and literally a couple weeks later, later change your definition. And so I didn't have a dog in the fight anymore. So I began to look at church differently and really start trying to dig in, understand, deconstruct. I had permission to do it. Right, because right? you weren't actively trying to become employed in that? Yeah, I, I actually, I had... I had no skin in the game. Right. I still very much wanted to be in ministry, but I didn't have to draw a living from it. I didn't have to build an organization. I, I, so, I, so you felt like you're coming at a more neutral position? Like Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I, I was able to see more clearly than I had before. Like, yeah. I just, the motivations were different. Yeah. So um, what started to happen is I began to try to rediscover, you know, what's the church? <laughs> yeah. I started having a really hard time having conversations with my friends who were still in ministry. Uh, mm. So what was happening with, you know, I, 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 would be, I would be talking about the church and they would be talking about the church, but we were talking about two different things. Right. And, 
you know, after, after doing this for a while, you know, you have these conversations, you're spinning your wheels and you get off the phone and you're like, we didn't even communicate, mm -hmm. you know? And so I had to start understanding, like be aware of the context. And, and honestly, that changed, that changed a number of my relationships. I mean, yeah. that, because we didn't have anything to talk about anymore. Right, yeah. Right? I definitely had that with a couple yeah. people. What is the church? The answer to that question is really, uh, it's an important thing for us to be able to unify around. This really mm -hmm. matters. I, I actually think that that this is this. There's the potential that the answer to that question is going to cause a lot of division in the body of Christ. It already yeah. has, but I mean, for for my generation of people, that I think that's going to be the thing that we either unify around or continue to divide the church mm -hmm. over. And we should be really careful. I think. One of the other things that I realized is that that title of minister is really difficult to lose. Um, so with with my family, you know, I was the token minister who always said the prayers at the meals and yeah. family meals and whatnot. And, uh -huh. and, you know, that stuff, I mean, it wasn't like dishonoring. It just got annoying because I'm like, you guys can pray too. Where's the, where's the grandpa pray, you know? Like, no. yep. um, but, but what also happened then is... You know, there's there's like this, there's something, that, a connotation that comes with being a minister. Yeah. So if I was a construction worker and I changed fields and went to work somewhere else, they'd mm -hmm. say, what do you used to do? I'd say, oh, I work construction. And they'd say, oh, oh, cool. Cool, yeah. But when you say, oh, I was a minister. What happened are, to you? <laughs> they, the, the, you know, the next question is like, well, can you have sex? Are you able to have sex? Are you married? You know, you know what I'm saying? They think you're a priest. Um, there's just a lot of confusion around right. that. And yeah. But the other thing that happens there, you know, I actually wanted to drop the title. I wanted it like away. It took me probably three years to lose it. And it's mm -hmm. not that there's any disrespect here, but it literally, I, I would say probably, probably three years before it, like I became Heath, this guy who's married, has a wife, starting a family and is out working, you know? Yeah. So it, that was really, I didn't expect that. Right, but, yeah. So the third thing that I learned was that when someone is in ministry and steps out, it often causes confusion for people who are still in ministry. Yeah. Um, and it's enough confusion for the guy, you know, the person who left, but all of a sudden <laughs> this thing starts to get really blurry. And I think one, the first thing that really surprised me was that some of the relationships don't survive that exit. Yeah. And I, I, that was really, that was just really discouraging. I, I, I realized what the relationships were built on. The relationships weren't built on I'm Heath, I'm your brother in Christ. I'm, it actually was built on something else. It was built on the fact that we were both vocational ministers. Yeah. And, and when, that, when, that, when I stepped out, gets, I, actually, I actually don't want to talk about youth ministry all the time anymore. It gets super awkward, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually have other things that are starting to take over my mind. And so you actually have, you don't have that much to talk about anymore. And so some of those relationships, they just fall, yeah. unfortunately. So the other thing that I learned, and you know, that, uh, the things that cause confusion, you know, a lot of times when I went to ministry conferences, especially youth ministry conferences, they would always talk about, stay in there, it's gonna be worth it. Yeah. And, or, or like the assumption is that you're not tough enough. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it is hard, right? It oh is, yeah, it's it hard work. It's legitimately a lot of hard work and there's like a lot of encouragement, motivation. So I understand where that's, yeah. where that's coming from. Well, but it's, so I guess I had to admit I wasn't tough enough. Right. I mean, like that. So, and, like, <laughs> and then everyone's disappointed in you, yeah. you know, because, oh, yeah. Tim didn't have it, or Keith didn't have yeah. Keith, Keith didn't have what it takes, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, I think what we have to go back and I guess take a look at is is what's actually motivating a statement like that. Yeah. Um, because what's motivating, the story that's motivating a statement like that is the story that's also motivating what we believe the church is in mm -hmm. our country. Um, it's, I, I don't know what else to call it. I call it the American church story. I, 
I'm researching and writing and researching and writing yeah. and process. It'll probably take me years, but but I, I think there's a basic narrative. You know, when, when you look at that question, what is the church, how you answer that, it affects everything. Right. It affects what you believe about, well, not just what the church is, the way you view calling, the way you view ministry, everything. The yeah. way you view your family's life and interaction with Jesus' church, everything. Yeah. And so if, I mean, what happens, though, if if the stories that are motivating our answer to that question, what if they're off? Like wrong or yeah. inaccurate? Yeah, 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 right. Like that basically sets the course for a certain trajectory. And that, yeah. that for me is probably the greatest concern that I have about the American church story is I think there's basic assumptions in there yeah. that actually aren't biblical. Well, let's talk about that. The American church story, you mentioned calling as well. Um, I want to hear a little bit more. What are you thinking? Yeah. Like, how do you understand both of those two things? Well, so part of <laughs> part of what makes this so challenging is the way we understand church today is actually really blurry for me. So if you go if you if you look at it from just like the American church context, we would say, oh well, the church is that building and we all meet there. Yeah. And but then of course everybody's saying, no no, the building's not the church. The people are the church. But let's just be really honest about it. Yeah. People don't believe that. Or they like, don't think about that. Like, yeah, it doesn't I, even cross their mind. Even when I talk to my own kids, I say, come on kids, you gotta get up this morning. It's time to go yeah. to church. Yeah. Well, but it but it. Like what it what it actually shows is that our belief in the truth of that is very small, mm -hmm. and our belief in you know the other is actually really great. Like, yeah. like that building actually is the church. You know, so I know some of this might just seem like semantics, but it actually affects the way that we interact with other believers as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important. So you have to figure out okay, what's actually motivating the answer to that question. So for me, I actually I've spent ten years <laughs> processing this now, and I don't think I have all the answers, but I yeah. I do realize that I. Um, well, if you were to strip this thing down, what we understand the church to be today is basically this gathering of people. But what's really interesting about it is most there's so many churches out there that are actually seeker sensitive. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the target is a male in our city who's 30 years old and they're not a believer. Right. So are they a part of Jesus' church when they show up there on Sunday morning? They're actually not. Right. Um, and, you know, it's really common for us, you know, one of the American pastors said, you know, the church is the only the local church is the hope of the world or that the local church is actually the only organization that exists for the people who are not there yet hmm. which th those are like really pervasive lines of thought yeah. I, I actually disagree with both if, if you want to look at it from a story perspective what we know is that God created the world right mm -hmm. he the garden I mean there's this great then the fall happened if you just move along in the storyline here and then you finally you, these people are fallen they come to the place where you know Jesus dies on the cross, they realize, yeah. "Wow, I'm saved." <laughs> these people are confessing the lordship of Jesus, and then they come to this place where they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens next? If those people got together and banded together, you know, what would that look like? We call yeah. that the church. And so, but what but what we believe about the church in America is actually something very different. It's really confusing. It's really gray. Yeah. So the way, if if you, I wonder if we couldn't go back, could we come up with like. Uh, a simplified definition that we could agree to, you okay. know, like could we unify around that yeah. as believers in our country? And for me, that definition is this: I, this is the way I view it, at least for now, <laughs> that the church is actually comprised up of it's it's made up of the people who've given up everything to follow Jesus. Wow. They've confessed His lordship. They like literally, I surrender to you. That's right. it. Um, and and if you haven't came to the place of a saving faith like that, mm -hmm. then you're you're not only you're not a part of the family, you're not a part of the church. Right. Right? So could we start there? Mm -hmm. Could we build from that place? Okay. Uh, because 
I mean, because what's actually happened today is very, very different. Yeah. You know? So how does that understanding of church influence how we like view calling and things? Because, like, yeah. that's something that, you know, we hear yeah. a lot. You know, it's like, oh, you're called out, or maybe they're called, they never called to it in the first place. Yeah. And yeah. all that type of that's stuff. That's true. Even you, I mean, you, you step out or you're forced out. That's what you start to think through <laughs> yourself, too. Yeah. You know, like, what happens? You know, yeah. am I really cut out for this or not? I think there's a difference between professional career ministry and a calling. And I think it's really wise to look at it that way mm -hmm. because if you get the two blurred together, you cannot see straight. Sure. Not for very long, and there's going to be a lot of frustration and problems. Yeah, explain what you mean by that because I think a lot of I think that was difficult for me to understand because uh, I, I have those two fused together in my mind. Yeah. Well, so sometimes this is another one of the things that I learned when I when I stepped out of vocational ministry is people thought I was either leaving the faith or leaving my calling. Yeah. And. So people get really mad, and you start taking hits. Like, mm -hmm. they're firing arrows at you. I saw it on your blog, actually. I thought, <laughs> I feel sorry for this guy. I took those. There's a lot but of it's, them. <laughs> but, it doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're leaving the faith. I mean, it, some people leave ministry because of sin. Yeah, that's the right thing to do. But some people, like, for me, what happened, the Lord clearly shut all the doors. He was doing something else, and I couldn't. I, I, I knew for me to keep fighting to stay in would be rebellion. Yeah. I, had to, I had to comply. Right. So you have to respect that. Right, yeah. that Lord's doing something different with this guy, and I don't understand what it is, but it's okay. Right, right. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about the way we view calling today, you know, over from a story perspective, I think um, there's probably a better way to view this. Number one, what we say is a calling. The Bible almost never uses the word to refer right. to to That's like that. Sweet. Almost every time, it's talking about salvation. Yeah, like being coming to a place of being saved. Right. You are called into this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but we don't use the word calling for that. We use no. it to mean like it's something very specific the Lord told me to do. So, right. Or something I really want to do, so I, it must be a calling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think like this starts to get thrown off in the American church story. You know, in my upbringing, I spent a lot of time at camps and, you know, uh, conferences in the summer and whatnot, like a lot of our teenagers do. Uh, but so what happened during decision time, like this is for me, this is really eye-opening. What happens during decision time at places like that is, you have the opportunity to make a decision, right? Mm -hmm. And that you, one of a few decisions if you're going to make one, right? Yeah. So either you're going to come to faith for the first time, right? Or you're going to rededicate your life because you've lived in terrible sin for the last year and now you realize <laughs> the error of your way and it's time to get back on track. Or, like, and this, these other two steps are where it starts to get really serious, right? Or you've made a decision to step into full-time vocational ministry, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're really, really serious about your faith, you're, you're going to go to the mission field. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a culture where we viewed, like, I mean, this was, this was every summer, every camp, every conference you went to, every, this was the deal. Yeah. And so I actually made the decision to go into ministry under that understanding. Mm -hmm. People who are serious about their faith, they go to Bible college and go to ministry. If yeah. they're really, really serious, they're going to make the ultimate of sacrifices, and they're going to go on the mission field and be poor and live in a village somewhere. Yeah. So I remember, I remember a ministry, youth ministry network I used to be, be a part of. This one guy, like he actually measured the success of his youth ministry by way of how many people went to Bible college. Well, I had three people go to Bible college this year. You know, yeah. it's just really fascinating. Is that something we can really take credit for, or is that something like there might be? Maybe that's all the parents, and you can't take credit for that. Yeah. Know? Well, I think I think it's just screwed up. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so I've come to view calling from a different perspective. If you look at it from a story perspective, if, if, if you're going to like 
put the pause on using the word calling. I, I think probably a more appropriate word would be like assignments or commands that God mm -hmm. has given us. And so if you're looking at it from a story perspective, from, you know, Genesis, you know, through Revelation, what we know, I think that there's a, there's some general callings that touch all of us. Yeah, let's right? talk about each of those because uh, Scripture gives some uh, general callings and then we'll talk about specific callings as well, right? Yeah. So what are the ones that Scripture says applies to all of humanity? Yeah. Well, and I don't know that this is like the exhaustive list, but I, right. but I think if a person spends their life dedicated to these, it's going to be a very fruitful and wonderful right. life, right? Yeah. So at the very beginning of the story, you see two commands given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and rule and reign, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, think about that, be fruitful, multiply. A lot of Christians believe that only applied to Adam and Eve. It doesn't apply yeah. to us today. But right. you, this is, you have to step back and say, well, when did, when does this, what, <laughs> when did the story begin? Right. For a lot of American Christians, Gentile Christians, we think the story began with Jesus, but it didn't. It actually began thousands of years right. previous to that. So you have to ask yourself what story you're actually living. I, I decided I'm going to try to live the whole one. Like I want to find my place in the story of God as we understand it from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. Yeah. So at the very beginning, he said, be fruitful, multiply. At the point, I'd been married for 12 years to my wife, and I ran from having children. I did not want to. <laughs> I was scared to death of being a dad, but I realized... Which is a legitimate whoa, feeling. <laughs> that, that actually applies to me. I actually had to repent for that. And yeah. we, we've had our first child since then. It's really wonderful. But, but that being fruitful, multiply, I think it's both physical and spiritual. The spiritual piece is about mm -hmm. disciple making. We'll get to that here in just a minute. But So you be fruitful, multiply, rule and reign. You know, oftentimes um, in the ministry world, we want to separate like... We, we have this the sacred and the secular. We want to separate ministry from the secular world. So mm -hmm. when I left ministry, I was going into the secular world. Yeah. But why, why do we need to separate the two? Why, do, why can't the yeah. kingdom be present in business? Why can't the kingdom be present right. just out in the world today? And I think we're going to see a lot more of this as time goes on. There's a Good. lot of really awesome, um, a lot people, like kingdom-minded people doing, doing business. Yeah. Work. So I think it's going to change. But you, what you have to understand is rule and reigning, this is an important part of the story because one day we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And what he's doing right now is preparing us for that. Yeah. Right? Well, how's he preparing me for that? For some of us, he's got to work some things out in us and we're going to get out in the business world and grind it. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's going to refine us. It's, it's going to make us better sons and daughters by doing that. Yeah. Right? This is a good thing. I yeah. need this, right? So the other part of ruling and reigning that's so important for us to get is that is what I would, it's what I would call stewarding the earth. And it's interesting when you bring this up in Christian circles, you get a lot of strange responses. So mm -hmm. a lot of times Christians would say, you know, depending on what they believe about this, they'll say, well, why should I care about the earth? Because it's all going to burn anyway yeah. or, you know, things like that, which, I, which is really a sad statement to make, at the yeah. very least, because if you have kids and grandkids, you should care. Or even if they don't say it, they kind of like think yeah. it. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I think basically from a story perspective, what's happening is I, I think God knew we were going to be on this planet for a long time. And he was basically saying, you need to take care of this place. What's, what fascinates me about this is of if any people on the planet who should care about this, it should be the people who are God-fearers, mm -hmm. you know. But, but oftentimes we're not. I think we're actually motivated by another story, and it's that, that this issue has actually been taken over by earth worshipers and politicians, and neither of those people are actually credible for believers. So yeah. we've just rejected that altogether, but I, I wonder what would happen if we actually led the charge for that. So those are, those are what I would call like the general assignments or callings that affect all of mankind, okay. right? And then uh, there's some, though, that affect only believers. Okay. Um, those would be those? yeah, making disciples and stewarding the gifts. So Matthew 28, go and make disciples, right? We know that that's mm -hmm. 
really, really important. But I mean, I think what's interesting about it uh, in our current context is, you know, this is the new buzzword in the church now, like almost to the point that it's nauseating. It's like, I'm really tired of hearing about it, though it's really, really important. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Up to this point in time, we just assumed that all of our programs were making disciples. But I, I without a doubt, every time I sit down and talk to a, a team of ministry-minded people, you know, and, and about what they're doing and their discipleship, they're like, we don't do that. And when you actually get into Matthew 28 and you start looking at what Jesus asked us to do and consider its implications, more often than not, they'll say, we don't do that. What, what do you mean? Like, what are they, what are they referring to? Because at, uh, at some point, don't they all think that they are? They're oh, trying yeah. to, right? Well, I think that we think that's what we're doing. But, but when you, like, Jesus says a very specific part of that. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Well, who's doing that? Like, we're, is our assumption that we're teaching sermons on Sunday morning, so we're doing that? I mean, like, that's a training. Teaching someone to obey, that's, that's what you do with your children, right? Yeah. And that's, training isn't the same thing as teaching. Uh, so okay. in that regard, I think, um, you know, all the believers were actually called to that. I believe that's a personal responsibility. It lands on every single person. We have to be really careful. A lot of us I, are going to think that it's our church institutions that are going to do that. But mm -hmm. institutions don't make disciples. People do. Yeah. When you're making a disciple, you're giving someone the beliefs you have, basically. Yeah. Um, I would say the question you have to ask is, is that bearing fruit? Is this an experiment or is it actually bearing fruit? Yeah. Uh, you need to be looking for things that bear fruit yeah. uh, in order to be effective with your efforts. Um, the other part of that, like the stewarding the gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I mean, Paul says there's one spirit, but there's a lot of different gifts. There's gifts of healing and gifts of prophecy and things like that. Yeah. But, I mean, this, we need to steward that really well. The body of Christ needs that, yeah. you know? Um, and a lot of those things have, in some circles, are picked up on and they want to really work with those gifts and in other circles it's just completely set aside yeah. so there's kind of two extremes there I, I would say this is really this is an important part of the story <laughs> yeah. he gave us these gifts for a reason we need to learn to use them mm -hmm. well and they're going to be a blessing to the body of christ so yeah so those what i those, i would say those are the general um callings that we have cool. that and and if we just spend our life on those things just focused on those things, that would be a wonderful, fruitful life, are, yeah. a God-honoring life. Yeah, those right? are callings that apply both uh, to all people, like the ones you mentioned, and then specifically just to some believers. Is there a place for the God-spoke-to-me-directly calling? Yeah. yeah, like a specific type yeah. of a calling right. or assignment. Yeah, I think so. What gets interesting about this, though, is that the way that I've come to understand this is that that God's not going to give me a specific assignment that contradicts the general. Right. This, this was really eye-opening for me, and I realized what I've basically done is spent my entire life chasing after specific things while negating every one of these other things. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because we tend to focus on the ones that... Uh, well, I, let me put it this way. Like, I feel like sometimes it's out of passion because we're like super passionate about yeah. this, this one thing, and so like we kind of become tunnel-visioned, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really easy to do, but but I mean, it, we have to keep it in perspective. Mm -hmm. We are we we spend all of our time chasing after specific things, but you just have to remember, like from the story's perspective, God wasn't issuing a lot of specific assignments. Right. He was issuing a lot of general assignments. Right. And but do we get specific assignments? Absolutely. But what I would say is, you, you have to hear from the Lord, and I mean clearly, you need to know in an audible sense or could like, be. What are you I don't know. It could be. I mean, right now, so I was talking to a guy um, who works at a church. And he had told me once I, I accepted a call in a vocational ministry. And, and I thought, I would really like to unpack that with you. Because yeah. I'm thinking about all this stuff. Right, anyway. right, right. And, I, and we sat down for coffee one day, and he, and he confided. He said, you know, I'm thinking about leaving vocational ministry. Oh. I said, really? How, how can you do that? Are you getting called out? 
Yeah, like yeah. what? How are you? How are you processing this? Right. Because, because you believed in, in, and basically, you know, the, the belief in the spirit there and God speaking to us is really low in this instance. And so, but that really fascinates me because if somebody says, "No, the Lord made this very clear to me, and this is what I'm supposed to do," that's one thing. But when we make assumptions about what it means to be called into something, you know it easily starts to fall apart. So for mm -hmm. example, a lot of the way we understand calling is like, well, you're passionate about this, your spiritual gifting of this, your wife, yeah. this is what you're supposed to do, you're right. called to this. Yeah. Well, that's really assumptive, right? right? And actually it's based on a, world, a worldly system, psychology. Right. Right. Uh, so I, what I would say is like, I mean, you have to hear from the Lord, you need to hear very clearly. And what that means is you're walking forward in obedience. For you to yep. not do it means you're disobeying him and that's right. a problem. So. God's saying you have a very specific role to play in my story. That's right. Uh, that um, is something that I am asking you specifically to do yeah. outside of general everyone else stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're the man. You're yeah. the guide. If you don't do it, I'll find somebody else. Yeah. Do the thing. yeah, absolutely. So there's a place for the specific assignments, um, but often, it has to find itself in the context of the story, yeah. not in some one-off thing. It, and uh, it seems to me that if we think of it in that context that it I mean, I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but it almost sounds like it probably doesn't happen as often as we think it does. Does it? Or does it? Does, like, does everyone have a very specific calling where they have heard intentionally directly from God about how to do this? Or do you think a lot of us are like, I really just love teenagers and I really love teaching. And well. <laughs> so that must be my calling. And that, you know, is well, that... this, is, this is where the American church story comes into play. Good. This is actually dictating what we believe cool. about this, I think. Uh, so Explain it. Well, so we've got this church context that we exist in, and so um, when someone says to me, well, I'm specifically called to teach the seventh graders, really? Did God tell you to go teach the seventh graders, or is that just something you really care about? Yeah. Because that's right. fine if you care about it. Right. I mean, that would fall right up under the general make disciples, right? Yeah. You, it actually, actually could fit in there really well. Yeah. So why would you call that a specific calling? Like, we, it's just an abused word, basically, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. One of the things I've been thinking about in regards to the whole American church story is specifically more in the context of youth ministry. Yeah. Um, what implications do you think that the American church story has on how we are currently doing youth ministry and, and maybe some implications of how that goes forward, or how it should go forward, you know? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think the best way to understand that is to contrast it with God's story, basically. So, um, you know, another big buzz in the ministry, the youth ministry world is, it's not just discipleship, it's also family. And um, Yeah, there's a lot, lot of family ministry and I, stuff. And I, and I want to be really clear, look for the fruit. Yeah. Do not just grab everything that's on the shelf. People are going to just bombard the Christian book market with stuff. You have to say, is that bearing fruit? That's what I want to read about. That's what I need. Those are the ideas. So there's a lot of thought leaders just kind of vomiting up ideas. Like, <laughs> but I just, I would just be careful. He's not jaded at all. Well, I, <laughs> I don't have a dog in the fight, <laughs> so I can call it how I yeah. see it. So, but, yeah. and, but a lot, and there is a lot of stuff. It seems like everything that's coming out has a different spin, different perspective, yeah. and there's yeah. lots of Well, stuff out so there. here's the deal. There's a lot of noise in the atmosphere. Just stop and say, Jesus, what do I need to do here? What do you, what do you have for your church here? And in my specific role, what am I supposed to do? And so I would say, when you look at it in terms of the story, mm -hmm. you have the story starting in the garden, but we are ending in a city that is being created for us right now, mm -hmm. right? This story, there's this big arc. I'm going from the garden all the way over here to the city, and my plan as a father is to end up in that city with my family with me. That's where I'm headed. So the interesting thing about the way God's story conflicts with the American church story here is, is in 
in God's story, going from the garden to the city, the way that you get there is through the family. That, the conduit of both spiritual development and spiritual blessing comes through the family. Mm -hmm. But in the American church story, the conduit is the church, yeah. as we understand it in America. And then the way that happens is professional ministers. That's two different things. And if we're not careful, there's going to be a collision, yeah. right? Like, yeah. You just said, I'm jaded. Wait, wait, watch a dad get a vision <laughs> for his family. I was kidding, by the way. <laughs> watch a man get a vision for his family and say, what's that thing? Yeah. And what, how am I supposed to interact with that? Right. I was talking to my brother who used to be a minister as well. We both had stepped out. And he was telling me a situation about in his youth ministry, he was doing this big event, and they were doing temporary tattoos oh. on, on the youth. You know, it's fun and everything. Yeah, uh, but a dad actually came to him and said, hey, I... I'm actually really concerned about this. Hmm. And I, I think this is like borderline sin or this might actually be sin. And of course, my you know, like, well, come on, whatever. Yeah, it's but the kind I, of thing Ruth workers are like, oh, please, not that parent. Yeah, but, but think about the situation. I, I told my brother, I said, do you, you know, do, do you realize this is a man who understands my obligation is to raise my children? He's actually operating in a deep conviction. Enough he'd come and talk to you. Yeah. And, and regardless, I mean, even if you think it's dumb, this man's operating in faith. Yeah. And that's why he's coming to you. Right. And you're saying, whatever. Yeah. You know, like that's, you, <laughs> I, I said, what if, what if you viewed your role as a youth minister uh, as though like you were a father hmm. or you're supporting fathers in there? Yeah. Like that would change an interaction like that, yeah. right? So you'd have to start figuring out, well, how can I be really supportive? Like you're actually the servant of families. You want to, you want to be a good youth minister, you figure out how you can best serve the families that are under your care. Right. Um, instead of just assuming you have something they don't, like yep. you need to get them what they need. And a lot of times the serving, like we, we think that that means, uh, and no one would say it like this, but as far as how it functionally, um, practically functions is that like I take the kids from you and I teach them and no, so that you don't have to. Now, again, no one says it like that, but for all intents and purposes, that's somehow sometimes how the yeah. families see the youth pastor's role, whether or not you want to accept it like that. But just based on how we function, we're kind of accepting that, um, even if that's um, not what we want to accept. And sometimes it is. Like, you're like, yeah, I can teach your kids. You know, no problem. Yeah. That's noble. But I think we're replacing the role that the parents are supposed to be playing. Yeah, well, we've actually, this. we've actually, here's another part, a really important part of the American church story. We've created a system where parents can basically just outsource this responsibility to us. Yeah, right. Well, and it could be outsourced everywhere in society, right? Like yeah. education, music, driving, like in Hollywood, um, you can, people make full-time livings off of teaching celebrity, celebrities' kids how to ride a bike. Yeah. You know, and we were yeah. like, that's too far, but where is the line? Like how, how far is too far? Well, I mean, so as a parent, you have to determine you know, what's the, what's my role and what's the scope of that and how am I going to engage here yeah. so I can, I mean, those, those general commands, they land on parents too, mm -hmm. right? This is, it's, it's all of us. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you have to ask yourself if I created a situation where parents don't have to be responsible for their kids or maybe the situation, maybe dad's left and mom's, you know, single mom work. And there could be other extenuating right. circumstances sure. that we need to be really gracious about. But all I'm saying is we should, how are you serving the fam? How are you serving those families? Is there, is there certain equipping that you need? Have you ever asked, have you ever went to a parent and said, how do I best serve you so that you can actually fulfill the mandate that God's put on you with these kids? Yeah. What a good, what a good way to talk about a youth ministry strategy. That's a starting, a great starting point, right? Yeah. Well, I've found, and I've, because I've asked that before, I used to have parent dinners at my house a couple times a year where I'd ask exactly that and have that conversation. And what I found is a lot of parents have never even thought about that question yeah. before because they never even like, oh, really? Like, you're supposed to support me? I thought I was here to support you. You know, yeah. I was supposed to make the, 
the snacks and the treats and the run the small group. You're like, I was here to help you because you can't do it all because you're one guy, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's well, a different, it's like a backwards, not backwards, but like flip-flopped yeah. approach. Yeah, sometimes I'll ask parents, so what's your discipleship plan for your kids? And they're like, what? wait a minute. <laughs> no, it's not serious, though. You are That's... my plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think we just have to be careful. We, we have a really important role to fill, but... There's actually a line. Mm-hmm. There's a line we don't cross. Like I, 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 I actually believe that the spiritual development is the responsibility of the parents. Yeah. I should support them any way I possibly can. And I'm not a minister anymore, but that's still I feel like right. a big role that I fill well, in the, the church is, in our city. Too, like for me, like I'm not in a paid vocational ministry position right now, but like I feel like I can still play that role whether or not I'm getting paid for it or not, just by the daily interactions I have with other families, yeah. um, just out in society. You know, yeah. so I don't. I think it's, you know, like whether or not you're getting paid for it isn't really the issue. It's like, are you fulfilling that role and you don't yeah. have the work at a church to do it? Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a friend. He's a rock star minister. Uh, he's really well known. We, we spoke on the, week, on the phone a couple of weeks ago and he just said to me, Heath, I, my daughters, I have three daughters in the youth ministry now. And I have, I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, I have 10 years left with them. Mm. And the challenge that he runs into is he he works like a dog uh, in ministry, and he just said, "Heath, this is <laughs> I don't I don't know how this I'm thinking about stepping out." Hmm. And I said, "Do you realize what's going to happen to you?" Like he's actually as a man, as the head of a household, saying, "I have a responsibility here. I have a wonderful gift with my kids. Uh, I think I might need to step away so I can really make the most of the next ten years." Yeah. I said, "Do you realize what's going to happen to you when you do that?" people are going to be confused. People, they will not know what to do with you. I said, are you, can your friendships withstand it? And he he said, a lot of them won't. And I said, are you okay with that? And he said, well, yeah, I'm okay with that. I said, are there a few though that are going to understand your heart and what you want to do? You know, he said, yeah, those would stay intact. And I said, okay. (laughs) You know, (laughs) yeah, go for it. And I think it makes like a lot of other youth workers feel uncomfortable too. Like if, you know, someone they look up to and respect and trust in this yeah. guy, if he's stepping down, like, what does that say about me? You know, and it gets real yeah. confusing for other people. So I, I wonder well, if that's part of why we just don't like. Yeah, okay. well, here's what it says. It says my family is the most important thing. End of story. Mm-hmm. And that it doesn't matter whether you work in, in the business world or in the ministry world. That is the most important thing. You protect it at all costs, yeah. basically. And so I, that's actually not a reflection. That's actually a reflection of the American culture that's in the church yeah. now. Right? We, we actually are as frim- family-friendly as we think we are, you mm-hmm. know? Like, that's why I think we, we flip the whole thing upside down and yeah. say, you're our focus, you yeah. know? And, and you have to look at that and say, well, is that going to have immediate fruit? Probably not. It's going to be a really painful transition because, mm-hmm. because the American family is really screwed up. Like, yeah. in general, that model of the family is really a mess, mm-hmm. and it creates a lot of problems. We need a new model of family, basically. Yeah. And we're going to have to go back to Abraham and learn about this. Yeah. But... You have to ask yourself, I mean, this all comes down to fruit. What type of fruit are we trying to bear? And I think Jesus made this really clear. We, bear, we want to bear fruit that's going to last, right? So is this going to cause all kinds of uh, fruit to explode in the, in the first few years? Probably not. It's probably going to be really frustrating. Yeah. And you're going to be breaking things and some exper- but experimenting and whatnot. But you have to say, okay, well, 10 years, what type of fruit do I want to be bearing? Yeah, like five years, ten years, you know, like long term. How am I going? How's the town or the city that I live in going to be a better place? How are the families going to be better? Yeah. What do I need to do right. there? Because yeah. they're actually the, this is the lifeboat, you know, the, the backbone of our city yeah. that we live in. So yeah. it's also the backbone of the church. 
Yeah. I hope some of this has been helpful for you guys. I know a lot of it kind of feels and just sounds like a big brain dump, and a lot of it is just stuff that I've been thinking through and discussing with Heath, and Heath has a lot of good, valuable insights for me. So I hope it's been encouraging and helped and challenged you as well. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking. Um, if you have any thoughts, please share in the comments below or leave a video response too. That'd be awesome. We'd love to keep this dialogue going just kind of beyond just this video. And if you want to find out more about Heath and what he does, he kind of oversees um, a story form discipleship um, narrative approach. You want to um, share a little bit real briefly what that is? Yeah, storyformlife.org. It's uh, narrative-based discipleship training. So we're, I said it backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, viewing the Bible as a story of God and training in that in a, in, and basically exposing what we actually believe. So it's a very yeah. foundational discipleship training. Yeah. And I'm going through it. My wife and I are both going through this together right now. It's been very transformative and really eye-opening a lot of things, uh, understanding God's big picture story yeah. uh, rather than all the bullet points we chop it up into. So it's been awesome. So go check it out. And thanks for hanging out with us, guys. And we'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm. Bye. Thanks for watching this video from Life and Student Ministry. Find us online at studentministry.org and facebook.com slash studentministry.